0: We've all seen the headlines so much that we might be sick of them. The robots are coming for Wall Street. AI is changing the world. Are we ready for it? This app will help you retire. So with all the swirl, how do you know what's real and what's not? We know technology is changing markets and investing. For big companies, and for all of us. We know it's changing our future, but why does that matter today? Welcome to The Bid and to our mini series Behind the Hype, Demystifying Fintech. Over the next four episodes, we'll talk to experts at BlackRock and beyond to go behind the hype. We'll uncover the real power of tech and finance. On our first episode, we'll start with Rob Goldstein. He's BlackRock's Chief Operating Officer and the head of our technology business, Aladdin. We'll discuss the rapid rise of fintech and why now more than ever, all companies across industries must be technology companies at their core. I'm your host, Mary Catherine Later, Chief Operating Officer of BlackRock Digital Wealth. We build technology to help financial advisors and everyday people manage their money simpler. Let's get started. Rob, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Great, thank you, MC. I'm so excited to be here.
0: So you're Chief Operating Officer of the world's largest asset manager, but you were also part of a team that founded a fintech business, Aladdin, which is part of BlackRock. You have one of the most unique perspectives on fintech, probably in the world. What is the hype all about? And do you think it's overblown?
1: Well, first of all, I think that the number one lesson learned that I have in terms of being part of this journey is that it really is about a strong team of partners. And I think when you look at fintech today, It's actually quite amazing because the hype is clearly overblown. I don't even think there's any question about that. I don't even think anyone would doubt that at this point. I think we're actually going through a period now where things are becoming a little bit more realistic. And that's actually exciting for us because we'd rather people focus on what's real than what's an illusion. People love talking about things like, cryptocurrencies, just as one example. So that's like really sexy. But at the same time, I think that a very large component of what's exciting to me is when you actually look at the financial services ecosystem, start in the basement and work your way on up, there's so much inefficiency. We're still in a world where most people in our industry still struggle with a common language. A common language for what is a portfolio, a common language for how to think about constructing a portfolio, a common language for how to transmit trades. In many regards, what we have today is this incredible ecosystem where everyone is speaking a different language, and then you have tons of people whose job it is to try to translate among those languages after things break. And what's really exciting to me, and I know many people at BlackRock, is the opportunity for Aladdin to be that common language because the industry really, really requires one. It's just no one has been successful to date in creating one.
0: Today, many people building distributed ledgers or blockchains are pursuing the same objective, trying to solve similar problems. What's the difference, and what do you think about that?
1: Well, distributed ledgers would be a tool to accomplish it, it wouldn't be the language itself. One of the things we've found, as we've done, as you know MC very well, enormous experimentation, a lot of it under your leadership with regard to digital ledgers, is that it doesn't alleviate the problem of someone has to define the language. Once that language is defined, it's another effective database technology for capturing that. There's a lot of advantages that that database technology brings with it, but the language itself, what you put in there, still needs to be defined. A lot of the operating infrastructure is much more complicated than people would ever expect or believe. So the common language is really hard. I think what's happened at an industry level is that there's been many people who've tried, but they've tried for one piece. And then they've seen that even that one piece is hard, so they've focused on what I would think of more as the lowest common denominator as opposed to the highest common denominator. And one of the benefits of the Aladdin community that we've established and just the sophistication of those clients is that through having those clients on one platform with one language, that really creates a critical mass for the common language of the industry.
0: A lot of those problems have been around for a long time. So why now? What's driving the shift? Why has the hype escalated so much in 2018?
1: It's a good question. I think that a lot of the reason why it's changed are the broad trends that we all know about. There's more data than there's ever been in the world. All sorts of statistics, the 90% in the past two years, I think we all are probably tired of those statistics. What we know is that in a year, There will be a lot more data than there is today. We also know computing power in a year will be much cheaper than it is today. It was much cheaper than a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. So all of those big macro trends are part of it, but I also think that a key, key part of it is that as an industry, this industry has really been focused on technology much more so than many other industries. I think what's happening is that trading volumes and just the amount of information that gets processed is going up so quickly. So the industry's requirements are changing and compounding exponentially in such a way that requires that whatever inefficiency has to be extracted out. So what's most interesting is that when I would go to the doctor and you see It's like going to an office in the 1960s. They're writing stuff down. You're filling out a form. Then you see someone type it in. Then they don't have it when you go in the room. Mm -hmm. You're like, how is this possible? Mm -hmm. And finance was not like that. Ten years ago, it was not like that. Finance has always been somewhat digital. I think relative to other industries, it's been on the pretty good and extreme end of the digital scale. What's happening now is really the last, you know, 3%, 5%, not the first 95%. And given the explosion in activity, that's what's leading to this being the topic right now.
0: So everything you've said, you've used no jargon, super simple terms.
1: I'll start the jargon. Um, (laughs) Ask me a question that's good for jargon.
0: But identifying those opportunities, understanding how they're exciting, having an idea as to how you could execute on them requires a lot of knowledge, a lot of industry knowledge. And that's perhaps a barrier that financial services may have in attracting talent. So how do you think about translating that to someone who's also thinking about, you know, solving other kinds of technology problems that they experience every day in their mobile phone?
1: Well, to me, one of the most awesome things about both financial services, but also what we do at BlackRock is that There really is an infinite number of hard problems that are unique. Finance has always been an information processing business. People used to process the information through writing it down in really big books. Then they processed it on mainframes, and now they're processing it in different ways. But this is one of the biggest big data businesses. This is one of the biggest opportunities for machine learning. This is one of the most natural places to apply artificial intelligence. And one of the things that I've learned is that it's very attractive, including for people who have multi-decade careers or people in the academic fields who've been doing this stuff their whole life with no financial services experience, at some point they want to try to tackle these problems because they recognize how hard they are to solve, which is also sort of quite exciting.
0: Do you think it's relevant to ask whether an asset management company is a tech company, is a fintech company? Is that a non sequitur question?
1: Some colleagues would disagree. I personally believe it's a weird question. And not only do I believe it's a weird question, I think it's a silly question. And the reason why is very simple. I think if you were in the stagecoach business today, if you were in the stagecoach business in 2018, you'd be in a technology business. Now, I always had that thesis. And as I was preparing to talk at a conference once, I actually started to research the stagecoach industry.
0: And it exists?
1: It exists, and funny enough, they pride themselves on doing everything by hand like they did in the 1800s. So I was very disappointed because my thesis was proven wrong. And then as I did more digging, one of the things that they pride themselves on is they actually use the tools that were the same tools from the 1800s to sort of build the stagecoaches. So then as I sort of went another layer deep, I figured out that those tools that they use Those tools are actually built by like 3D printers. So when you really look into it, in 2018, there really is no business that isn't a technology business. It's just the reality of it. I think whether you're running a restaurant, an asset manager, a hospital, whatever it is, a grocery store, at this point, technology is used to do everything in your business. And I think that great businesses, no matter the industry, have a natural cadence with regard to looking at all problems through the lens of how can technology solve this problem. And they've not only done that at the most senior levels, but they've permeated that throughout the whole organization.
0: So what got you interested in the asset management business?
1: It's an interesting question. Got me interested in the asset management business is probably not the most comfortable story to tell. But when I was graduating university, I basically asked a bunch of people, what job in financial services, because I knew I wanted to work in financial services, I said, what job in financial services pays the most and you have to work the least? Because I assume that's (laughs) what you're optimizing for. And they told me at that time, and this was in 1993, this would have been, they told me at that time, you want to be an institutional bond salesperson. And I said, okay, that sounds awesome. How does one become an institutional bond salesperson? And they said, well, you have to get a job for a couple of years, then you go back to business school, and then you could enter a program to be an institutional bond salesperson. And I didn't really want to go back to school, but someone told me if you could get a job in analytics and survive through that, that typically gives you a pass in terms of not having to go back to business school. So that was the path that I pursued. So I started working at BlackRock, and my strategy was to work here for a couple of years and then use that as an opportunity to go to the sell side and be an institutional bond salesperson. Obviously, that didn't happen. But I think it's really interesting because it says a lot about the world. Not so much me, but the world. If you go back to the mid-'90s, the institutional bond salesperson, that was the job. The analytics person, the technology person, the data person, that was definitely not the job. And if you fast forward till today, basically the institutional bond salesperson has been largely replaced, displaced, repriced through technology. And the rise of the analytics, the data, the technology people, they've effectively taken over a very significant chunk of the financial services landscape. And importantly, they're now the rock stars they're the sexy guys, whereas the world was a very different place 24 years ago.
0: Speaking of opportunity, you're so focused on execution, execution and scale. They're part of your refrain as the CEO of the firm, making sure that now this organization of roughly 14,000 people is still delivering every day. What do you see as some of the ingredients for scaling a business and for successful execution? How do you identify them at the outset?
1: It's something that we've thought. A lot about. And I think the number one ingredient for scale, funny enough, is having a tremendous amount of hope. And I know that seems like a very weird thing to say. I'm not someone who believes that hope is a strategy. In fact, I often will remind people that hope is not a strategy. But when I say hope, so many of the things that we did at BlackRock five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, people had hope and people had vision that we were building not for the tiny problem we had that day, but this was gonna be massively big. So a big part of scale is a mindset of process, of technology, and of people. And importantly, it's a mindset Of always doing the extra steps required initially to solve the problem you hope to have in five years or 10 years, as opposed to the problem that you're experiencing that day.
0: You're talking about hope in the context of building a business, but a lot of our business is really about making other people's hopes and dreams come true by managing their money so they can retire, so they can send their kids to college. It's still way too complicated, There are a lot of companies trying to use technology to simplify it. Do you think tech can help close that divide?
1: I actually believe this is one of the most important issues of our time. And I say that as a citizen of the world, not as an employee of BlackRock, in that when you look at the world today, the statistics around people saving and investing for their retirement, they're actually sad. It's actually a place where you really need to have a lot of energy to have hope. And a big part of the reason for that is it is frightening today to figure out how to save, how to invest, and not have it seem completely overwhelming. And I say that, it's frightening for me, and I know what I'm doing. So for people who aren't in this industry, I could only imagine how overwhelming it is for them. I think technology, if you really look at what's happened in this information age we live in, what it's done is it's created an environment where people could learn on their own. They could learn on their own in their own way. They could learn on their own on their own time frame, and they could learn however they so choose. And I think that the number one requirement that BlackRock has is to make sure we recognize that no matter who our clients are, if you look BlackRock's assets today, roughly two-thirds of them are retirement assets. And that responsibility is a remarkable responsibility. But those people, many of them don't understand what's actually happening. And I think the ability to help them understand what's happening is something that we have to spend more time on, more energy on, and we're trying, but it's hard because the reality is that the ecosystem of financial services today is really complicated. I'll give you an example that's a recent example that I personally experienced. I refinanced my mortgage a few months ago, and this is after the financial crisis, And after the financial crisis, there was unanimous support broadly on the requirement to simplify getting a mortgage and make sure that the people who were getting a mortgage, mom and pop, understood what was going on. And I will tell you that the new revised documents are like impossible to follow. They are completely insane. They are not comprehensible by normal humans. To be honest, I don't know if they're comprehensible by humans. And when you look at that, we have to be able to do better.
0: In what time frame do you think we will have an easy way to understand where your next dollar needs to go?
1: These are not problems that are solved overnight. I think that there's many forces that are bringing it together. I feel, going back to the pension and retirement problem, companies feel a much greater responsibility to help their employees, including through financial literacy. Interestingly, I think in a world of much lower unemployment, it creates more requirement for companies to really make sure their employees recognize the benefits they're getting and value them appropriately. I think technology is an incredible enabler in this. I think that financial products are becoming more transparent, easier. I think the ability, for example, to build a portfolio through ETFs is a major technology breakthrough that obviously is transforming the industry quite quickly. So when you bring all these things together, there's just enormous, not only opportunity, but enormous change that's happening. But even when there's enormous change, it still takes a while. For it to really impact. And I think that it will get there. There are mechanisms for people all different stages. You, know, you look at a tool, for example, like Acorns, and a tool like that is effectively helping with all of these things also for a very specific demographic of the market. So you're an optimist? I am an optimist. I started working at a company with 80 people and $19 billion under management So how could I not be an optimist?
0: In the spirit of optimism and looking ahead to the future, I'm going to ask you if you think these things will be part of our everyday lives and when, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Awesome. Gene editing. 10 years. The singularity or humans merging with machines.
1: 10,000 years.
0: Electric vehicles outnumbering gasoline-powered vehicles.
1: 15 years.
0: RFID chips in our skin.
1: In the United States or other countries?
0: Excellent question. How about China? Pass. The United States?
1: Not for a long time.
0: And on that note, thank you so much, Rob, for joining and sharing your story, a little bit about BlackRock and how you think about fintech today.
1: Great. Thank you.
0: Tune in to our next episode of The Bid, where we'll demystify big data with Jeff Shen.
2: This material is intended for U.S. distribution only. This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by BlackRock, is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast, research, or investment advice, and is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. The opinions expressed are as of November 2018 and are subject to change. The information and opinions contained in this material are derived from proprietary and non proprietary sources deemed by BlackRock to be reliable and are not guaranteed as to accuracy or completeness. This material may contain forward-looking information that is not purely historical in nature. There is no guarantee that any forecast made will come to pass. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the listener. Past performance is not indicative of current or future results. This information provided is neither tax nor legal advice, and investors should consult with their own advisors before making investment decisions. Investment involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Copyright 2018, BlackRock Inc. All rights reserved. BlackRock is a registered trademark of BlackRock Inc. All other trademarks are those of their respective owners.